You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And now, Again, everybody, great to have you on board. I am very excited about today's guest, but first, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento, locally owned for over 20 years. Whether it's leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works is a full service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N E W wrxplumbing.com and remember if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night no problem new works will be there with their 24 7 service that's newworksplumbing.com n-e-w-w-r-x-plumbing.com my guest today well doesn't need much of an introduction if you are a fan of the nba if you're a fan of the new york knicks if you were a fan of imus in the morning if you were a fan of wfan radio if you were a fan of the olympics on nbc i can just go on and on and on it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back to the podcast mike breen mike i believe this is the first time since i've known you that i cannot make fun of the new york mets Yeah, isn't it nice? It's been a glorious summer for the future for the future World Series champions. Um, I just, might, but I've got a little bit of a dilemma, and the problem is, is World Series games are going to be going on while the NBA season is underway. So I've got to completely change my schedule uh-huh. to make sure that I'm, I'm at City Field for. Uh, for the World Series games. So it's it is a big dilemma, but it's a wonderful dilemma and I'm glad you you know, it was really it I think it's it just says about your character that you're able to come and, and admit that the Mets are are a great team this year. Well, I wanted to make sure that I had you on. This is actually going to air on Tuesday, the 23rd. We're recording this on the 22nd. And I wanted to make sure that I had you on uh, before the Mets embarrassed the Yankees tonight and tomorrow night with Scherzer and DeGrom going against a Yankee lineup that can barely score a run. So that's I want to let you know that's why I reached out to you before these games began. Well, I'm going to be at one of the games, although uh, the weather in New York the next couple of days is a little crazy, so I'm hoping we get the games in. Uh, but, it, you know, all kidding aside, you know how it is, and we're all like this as, as sports fans, um, and especially non-NBA games, because, you know, we can we can still be great fans of just the team, just root for them. 
when your team has, has had its ups and downs and they have a season like this, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than watching them every single night, you know, knowing that they've got a chance to win because they're good or they're one of the best teams. That's whether it's your favorite football team, your favorite hockey team, your favorite basketball team. Um, it just it reminds you of, of what makes being a fan so enjoyable. Mike, as broadcasters, we pride ourselves in never missing a game. We will do whatever we need to do to be behind the microphone. However, take me back to June when you tested positive for COVID. That choice was no longer yours. How hard was that for you? Um, it, you know, for, for me to say it was hard compared to what people are, are dealing with around the country almost seems silly. But just from a professional standpoint, uh, it was awful. Um, you know, like yourself, Grant, all those years, you just you took such pride in going to work um, every single day, even the days where you felt awful. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 we both probably worked NBA games feeling 10 times worse than how I felt. I mean, I, I clearly tested positive, but I really didn't have any symptoms. I had a, a little cough, but other than that, zero symptoms. And I was stuck in a hotel room for six days in San Francisco. Uh, and then the hardest part was when I turned on the TV and an NBA finals game is about to be televised and I'm not a part of it. Um, I, I salute my colleague, Mark Jones, who did such a great job with, with Mark and Jeff, but it was, man, it was hard to watch. I had missed the finals game since 2006. So it was hard to watch, but you know, the other thing, Grant, it made me appreciate um, how blessed I am to be able to do those games. Um, and, you know, I've never taken it for granted, but it, it does, you know, the old phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That was certainly the case watching those games. You missed game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then in the finals you missed games one and two. Did you know 100% that you would be good to go for game three, or was that dicey leading up to game three? No, I, 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 was, uh, I thought I was going to be ready for game one. Um, because, you know, I was testing positive twice a day, uh, or I was testing twice a day and, and not only was it, whether it was positive or negative, but there was a, uh, a certain count that came up that if I, even if I tested positive, but had this, this certain number, um, that came back, I could still do the game. So before game one, before game two, you know, you like, I felt like I was uh, in, in a courtroom waiting for the jury to come back in. Unfortunately, the jury kept finding me guilty twice a day. So, <laughs> right. uh, so game one, I think, all right, I got a chance at game one. Eh. Game two, I think I had a chance at game two. Eh. And it went right up through that. But by the time we got to game three, um, you know, their protocols of, of 10 days since, you know, the whole thing started, um, I was able to go regardless. So it, it worked out. Uh, it finally worked out. But it was, uh, it was it was not fun watching the games, Grant. You've been blessed to do so many things in your career. Was there ever a time where you look back and go, man, that made me really, really nervous? Like before you got on the radio or TV or whatever assignment you had, where you were actually like, oh my gosh, I am really nervous today? Well, I get nervous before every finals game, I get nervous, especially game one. And, you know, again, I started doing the finals in 06. Uh, in when I got back and did game three this year, um, again, same, same nerves. I, I would feel something's wrong if I didn't have the nerves. But there were, I think the most nervous I ever was before I went on the air was game one of the first finals I did. That was 2006. 
um, and that was between the Mavericks and the Heat. Mm-hmm. And I, I had gotten uh, calls from some ESPN executives, and they were telling me, now listen, you got to broadcast these finals differently because you have a lot of people who are tuning in who haven't watched an NBA game all year, or you have a lot of casual fans, so you have to appeal to them and, and kind of explain what's going on here. So you can't just uh, broadcast toward the, the hardcore fans. So I was I was really struggling with that. Like, what do I do? How do I do this? So, so the game started, and I got several calls on that. The game started. I'm doing it with UB Brown, and I'm, I'm probably exaggerating. I've never gone back and watched it. But I think the first game I was saying something like, you know, a player got fouled. Now he'll go to the free throw line where he's allowed two free throws without <laughs> any defender. You know, it just – it was – I was trying to think, all right, a casual fan, casual fan. How do I relate to the casual fan? And we went to our first timeout, and, and you know, I've done games with UB all year, and, and UB is such a treasure. <laughs> he, gra- he grabs my arm in the first timeout, and he says in his emphatic, strong, authoritative UB voice, he goes, hey, kid, just call the game the way you always do. <laughs> and, and it just put me – I was so relaxed that UB gave me permission <laughs> to do it that after that, you know, I just started calling like I always did. But that was the that was probably the most nervous I ever was. That and, and maybe the the uh, gold medal game in '96 uh, in the Olympics. Um, it was uh, in Atlanta, and the the women's gold medal game was the last event before the closing ceremonies. And I saw Dick Ebersol, the the legendary uh, executive producer and, and just overall you know broadcast legend. He um, he says he says to me the night before I see him. In the hotel, he goes, you, you ready? I said, yeah, I think I'm ready. He goes, yeah, there'll be about 85 million people watching. <laughs> and, right. And I was like, holy mackerel, I didn't sleep well that night. Right. But I, I, I do think it's, it's a, you know, and you probably feel the same way before you went on the air. It's, you, you, it's good. It's an adrenaline thing. So yes. you want to be nervous. You just got to make sure that you're not so nervous that you're overwhelmed by it. All right. I'm going to tell you the most nerve-wracking two days of my entire broadcasting career in sacramento we carried imus in the morning they asked me to fill in for you for two days okay i had to get up at two in the morning i had to be at the station to get ready for east coast time and doing the sports on imus in the morning a guy that i grew up listening to but very well aware of what type of abuse that was going to be coming my way i will tell you that is the most nerve racking two days I've ever had in my broadcast career was filling in for you on Imus in the morning. I, I can, I can relate to that because that, you know, where was, I was thinking more <laughs> basketball, but that is, I mean, he was so intimidating right. to do that. And, you know, when you grew up in New York, he was such a, uh, such a legend in New York. So anybody who listened to it and uh, he was exactly the way he sounded on the air, he, <laughs> he would rip everybody and, you know, up and down. So yeah, I, I felt the same way at that time, so I can relate to that, Grant. <laughs> you know, the other part about what you were just saying with 85 million people watching, I've always, I've always been asked this, and I know you get asked this too about being nervous. If you really thought of how many people we're watching a game. You probably would, but once the game starts, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking, you you know, you're in many instances, you're not even aware of of what's outside. You have a microphone in front of you. You've got your two analysts, and you're announcing the game. I don't know about you, but I rarely, and even when the Kings were good in the early 2000s, that I knew we had enormous audiences. That didn't really go through my mind. Did you allow that to enter your mind during the Olympics when 
you know, Dick Ebersole told you how many freaking people were going to be watching or once the event started, once the gold medal game started, you didn't think about that. No, it, you're absolutely right. And, and you can't think about it. it. It's just, it's a matter of all you're thinking about is preparing for the game. And so when you go on the air, you're prepared for whatever happens on the court or on the field uh, that you're going to be able to handle it because you have all your preparation done. Uh, that's the key to overcoming the nerves. The only, the, the times that I've, I've felt like super nervous and had nothing to do with, you know, the, the camera in front of me or people watching was if, you know, say for some reason or another, a delayed flight or you did five games and five nights and maybe you didn't put the same amount of, of the pregame work that you normally do. That's when you feel almost naked when you're going on. If you don't feel like you have every base covered, um, that's, that's the thing that, that can happen. And you just, you don't never know what's going to pop up in a game. So, uh, to me, no, I never thought about how many people are watching. I, I do remember, um, I did an NFL preseason. I used to do the Giants uh, preseason games and it, it was a lesson learned in preseason. You've got 80 guys who are on the roster mm-hmm. in the first preseason game. And you have to have something down for every single one of them because, you know, almost everybody plays in a lot of those preseason games and you never know who's going to be involved in a big play. And I remember uh, uh, the Giants were playing the Cincinnati Bengals and Kent Graham was the quarterback for the Giants. And with like, you know, Giants are trying to run out the clock and with less than a minute to go, he throws a, a side out and it's intercepted by a Bengal player who now is going down the sidelines for the winning touchdown of the game. And I look at his number and I look down at my chart and there's not a single player with that number on my chart. <laughs> so there's the guy going for the winning play. Oh of the my game, gosh. And I have no idea who he is. Um, and I'm thinking, Oh, intercepted. He's there. He goes. I kept saying there he goes. He's going in for the score. And I never knew his name. <laughs> and that was the winning play. Oh, and wow. it taught me a lesson that, you know, before every game, you got to check with the PR people. Any new sign, they signed the guy at five o'clock for a seven wow. o'clock game. Wow. And they never put him on the roster. So that's when, you, when you're nervous, when you feel like you mm. don't have everybody covered, stuff like that. Uh, but I think we've all had those horror stories like that when things, oh, at least I know I've had my hey, share of them. I, I did the Raiders for five years on TV in the preseason. And I tell people when they ask me, what was the most difficult thing I've ever done? Doing preseason football, the preparation was harder than anything I've ever had to do before. I'm curious, doing Olympic sports with all of the foreign nations and the pronunciations, how hard was that for you? Um, That's the only thing that was probably harder than than the first preseason game for an NFL team. just as you say, because of the volume of, of the amount of players that are on the roster. But I, I remember specifically um, I had to do, because I used to do the, the men and the women. When I first started, I just did the, the women's games, and then I was doing both. So um, in one of the games, it was China against South Korea. <laughs> and wow. the pronunciations were so difficult so to memorize the pronunciations, memorize the, the number as opposed to who the player was, um, it was it, it was so I, – I think I spent like four hours just memorizing the pronunciations. Now, I probably could have said the pronunciations wrong or even misidentified the player, and the majority of the audience Correct. would have no idea. But, you know, you take pride in getting it right. And, and I remember that was just so, so hard. And um, – I remember there was another time there was a player on 
on the men's uh, Chinese national team, and the spelling of his name um, was F U K, <laughs> and, it, and it was pronounced it was pronounced F like F O O K, like uh-huh. Fook. And I, I I remember if you said it quickly, you know, you're going to be on national TV saying it. And I remember pronouncing his name like it had like 19 O's be like, Ooh, because I was afraid of, of dropping an F-bomb on national TV. Oh, so those are all different. Those are the kind of challenges that you had when you do the international with some of the, uh, hey, some of the pronunciations. You could have been Johnny most and gone, the little white guy throws to the guy with the beard, the big tall guy throws back to number six. You know, you could have got, you could have been Johnny most, you know? Oh, those are, those are classic calls <laughs> right. with, uh, with the great Johnny most who, by the way, John, did you know that, that, um, you know, I, I've used the phrase bang, obviously. Uh-huh. Johnny Most um, used to use that on Celtics radio cast. Oh, wow. And I, and I never knew it. After I started doing it, I was doing some Boston Celtics playoff games. And um, our mutual friend, Howie Singer, who's the uh-huh. great producer director uh, for so many years at the MSG Network, he got a call from Jamie Most, Johnny's son. And he says, does Mike know that, that, that my dad used to use the word bang? And, you know, I knew who Johnny Most was, but Back in the day, you couldn't listen to out-of-town radio cast. No, never. And you couldn't do. So uh, the next game, I, when I used the word bang on a Celtics TV, I said, that's, that's in tribute to the great Johnny Most. But I had no idea that, wow. that uh, he had used it many, many years ago. Didn't you I, – I can't remember where I heard this, but you talked about this. But didn't you, when you were at Fordham, didn't you as a fan just used to say that and then you incorporated it years later into broadcast? Right. That's that's how it started, because when I was I went to every Fordham men's basketball game when I wasn't broadcasting it for the college radio station. And they were pretty good back then. Tom Penders was the coach and we would go to all there's about 10 of us would drive to every single road game, the home games. And when a Fordham player hit a big shot, that's what I yelled out. And I, I tried it on the air when I was a student broadcaster and I actually didn't think it worked. So I, I canned it. And I said, nah, that's that doesn't work on radio. Uh, and then. A few years later, when I started doing some TV games, I felt it was a, a, a good way to use it when the crowd was going crazy and you wanted a nice, quick, concise call uh, and get out and let the uh, let the mm. crowd and that you know let it breathe, as they like to say. I'll share a story with you talking about preseason football. So uh, Bruce Allen was the general manager. And before I did my first game, I was at Napa for the Raiders practice. And he goes, I want you. Mr. Davis wants to meet you. I'm like, OK. So he walks me in between the practice fields, and Al is out there with his white sweatsuit. And Bruce Allen goes, uh, Mr. Or he's, I think he said Al, uh, this is Grant Napier. He's going to be doing our games on TV. And Al did not remove his eyes from the field. Al watched everything. Then finally, he turned to me, and he goes, Grant, very nice to meet you. Where are you from? I said, I'm from New York. And right then, it kind of like broke the ice because of Al's upbringing in New York. And right. so we talked for about, I don't know, five minutes. And he said, the most important thing is to salute the flag. Do you know what that means? I said, yes, sir. You must salute the flag. Do you understand what that means? I said, yes. So I get done meeting Al and Bruce is walking me back and he goes, do you understand what salute the flags means? I go, I have no freaking idea. He goes, (laughs) he goes, he goes, he goes, that means at the end of the game, the Raider fans, the last person they're going to see is you and you need to leave a positive impression 
going off the air. And I said, oh, okay, I got that. So the first game I'm doing, I'm doing with Jim Plunkett, and we're in Dallas playing the Cowboys. And I think the final score was Dallas 52 and the Raiders 17. So I go, I go, we'll be right back. We'll wrap it up right here on the Raiders post-game show, blah, blah, blah. And I turn to Plunk during a commercial, and I go, hey, Plunk, I think I'm going to let you salute the flag today. <laughs> you know? And he looks at me and he goes, the hell you are. I said, Plunk, come on, you're freaking Jim Plunkett. You need to salute the flag today. I'm like, I'm cursing at him in the booth at my first Raiders game. I'm like, you can't put that on me, Plunk. I'll get killed. You know, so there are, it's amazing the things that we happen in our career that we think back on years later and you just go, can you believe that happened? You know, I know you have many, many stories like that. Yeah, and you know when, like you mentioned, meeting Al Davis, how intimidating is oh. that for oh. for a young broadcaster? Oh. And you know, I, I had a few of those. I remember first year I was doing the NFL, meeting Bill Parcells was was so intimidating. Uh, people like that, and and Jerry Sloan. I, I remember the first time I met Jerry Sloan. Um, that was the most probably intimidated I sat down in doing a coach's interview. And I remember asking him um, the first question, and he kind of leaned forward, and he goes, what do you mean by that? And it was a fairly <laughs> straight question. Right. So I asked the question again. He goes, well, well, I, I don't understand the question. And he was just kind of kind of testing me out. We wound up becoming uh, pretty good friends, uh, but great, I, I great was guy. scared, so scared. Right, he was. Once you got past that tough exterior, um, it was the same thing. And, and I remember the same thing with, with Yubi. When I first met Yubi, I was so intimidated, you know, by Yubi's knowledge. And, and Yubi was a tough coach. And now he's become one of my dearest friends. It's, it's um, you know, I, I know you felt the same way about this. The business, you know, calling the games is, is special and it's a privilege and an honor. But the best part of the business is making friends uh, that become lifetime friendships. It's, uh, it's really cool how things can develop. And especially after you meet somebody for the first time and you're just so damn intimidated. I will tell you that meeting Al Davis that day was the most nervous I've ever been in my life for meeting someone. I'll share another Al Davis story. We were in Houston getting ready to do a Texans game. And I walk in from lunch and someone walks up to me in the lobby and he goes, you need to call Al Davis right away. And I'm like, I need to call Al Davis? He goes, yeah, this is his room number. And I'm like, oh, my God. And the night before, Randy Moss had been on HBO's Real Sports and admitted to smoking pot, okay? So you got to remember the time we're in when Randy Moss played on the Raiders. So I go up to my room, and I call Al, and I said, Mr. Davis, this is Grant Napier. And he goes, Grant, how are you today? I said, I'm fine, sir. He goes, listen, this is how you're going to handle the Randy Moss situation on TV tonight. I said, yes, sir. He said, are you writing this down? I said, absolutely. He told me, (laughs) no, listen, he told me word for word, what I was going to say. And I'm telling you, Al didn't miss a beat. He said, Grant, what are you, after he got done, he goes, Grant, what are you going to say on TV tonight? And Mike, I've never been so happy in my life to really have written every single word down on a piece of paper. Cause you know, when you're on the phone, you can go, yeah, I'm writing it down and you're, but he asked me to repeat what he had said. And that's how we started the telecast. And, Mike, I will tell you one thing about the Raiders. When Al was with the Raiders, he was in charge of everything. He had his hands on everything. And what he said went, and that's how it was going to be. And if you didn't like it, you didn't have to be there. But if you talk to any players that played during the Al Davis era, they talk about his loyalty. They talk about always being part of the family. But it was very interesting. I got a little inside look. And I'll tell you something else about Al. He would ask questions 
to everyone. I remember, I don't know how this ever happened. I don't know how it happened. I'm in a meeting with Tom Flores, Jim Plunkett. Uh, I'm in a George Atkinson and one other individual. I'm in this meeting and I, and, and I have no idea what the hell I'm doing in this meeting, but I'm in this room and he goes around and he starts asking every person in the room if they thought that Charles Woodson could play safety. And they went to Tom Flores and then he gets to me and Larry Kruger had just lost his job that week for comments made about Felipe Alou, the then manager of the San Francisco Giants. And he says to me, Grant, what do you think about what happened to Larry Kruger at the station this week? And I said, well, Mr. Davis, I said, I've got a really simple rule. You can't make fun of someone's ethnicity, their religion, or their sexuality. And I said, I've always tried to preach that. I've always tried to go by that. And he goes, he shakes his head and he goes, I like that answer. But the point is, Mike, you talk about one of the most legendary figures in all of sport, the late Al Davis. And my experience was he wanted to know what you thought. He also wanted you to know that he was in control and he didn't let anything slip by his domain. You, you do, wouldn't think that, that an owner of a team would, would be aware of all the minutiae that goes on, but that's... For many of them, that's what makes them so successful because they leave no stone unturned right. and they're aware of everything that goes on in their organization, which, you know, it, it can be hazardous and can be intimidating. But at the same time, it's one of the reasons why they're so successful. You and I have talked about this on the air and off the air as it relates to Mark Jackson. He was one of the finalists for the Sacramento job that went to Mike Brown. Do you think, Mike, that we're going to see him on the sidelines as a head coach in the NBA in the future? You know, Grant, it's to me, it's one of the un, unbelievable mysteries. This guy is—he's got such a brilliant basketball mind. He's such a great people person in terms of dealing with uh, with players. Like, for example, when we we sit down with players across the league, and most of the time when we're doing the ABC or ESPN games, we get mostly the top players. The respect they have for him is off the charts. Then you look at the job he did at Golden State and how he helped build that team towards, you know, what eventually become uh, a dynasty. And Steve Kerr has gone out of his way numerous times to say that that uh, he uh, had some su- success off what Mark built. Obviously, Steve took it to the next level and is an amazing championship coach. But he has credited Mark with instilling a lot of the foundation for that Warriors team. So, you know, clearly he had some differences with the owner. Uh, they had some issues. But for him not to get another opportunity, I, I just I just don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe it's because he's outspoken and not afraid to speak his mind uh, on the air when he's doing the telecast. But both Mark and Jeff, and I put Jeff in the same thing. I mean, Jeff is a brilliant coach. If teams want to get better, hire them. The, the two of them uh, have proven uh, how good they are in terms of uh, being terrific NBA coaches. And I just don't understand, Grant, I don't understand how nobody has given them a shot. I asked John Barry this privately after he got done playing, and he had played for a lot of teams and a lot of coaches. And I said, who's the best coach that you've ever played for? He didn't even hesitate. He said, Jeff Van Gundy. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, Jeff Van Gundy. And I'm shocked too. I'm shocked at Jeff. Do you think it's just a matter of waiting for the right situation? I mean, you know him a lot better than most of us. Is that what it's all about? Yeah, I, I wish I had an answer. Um, you know, I, I know that they both have had interest from teams and uh, declined 
further involvement in, in the job search. So that has something to do with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's been a lot of openings and, and I know the, the league goes in, in, in cycles in terms of they like to go for younger assistant coaches. Um, and both Mark and Jeff have now neither one of them coached in quite some time, but they're around the game all the time. The other thing I love is when they sit with, with the head coaches when we go into and how the head coaches often pick their brains about certain things. It's just, um, you know, it, it, like I said, it's one of the great mysteries mm. uh, because if, if I was a general manager, I would hire one or both and know that the team would get better because of their presence and their ability to coach young players. Mike, you have a great pulse on the New York sports scene. And about two weeks ago on ESPN's first take, uh, my good friend, colleague, your friend Chris Russo and Stephen A. Smith were talking about Kevin Durant. And Chris thinks that if Kevin stays in Brooklyn and as Right now, as we talk in the middle of August, he is a Brooklyn net that the fans are really going to let him have it. What do you think the environment's going to be like for him if he does remain a net when the season starts? I think um, there might be an initial uh, reaction from the Brooklyn Nets fans. You know, he might get booed on his first player introduction. Then if he goes out and he scores 36 and the Nets win, it will be all forgotten. <laughs> right, and right. that's And that's the truth. And you know, the interesting thing with that team is if if the two of them come back with Durant and Kyrie Irving and the other players, like if Ben Simmons comes back from injury, if Joe Harris comes back from injury, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, they are a championship contender. In fact, if they're healthy and remain, I would think in some ways they might even be the championship favorite. That's that's a terrific team. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just to go into a season where your star player has now a doubt that he wants out um, and doesn't want to play for the head coach who is going to be there when the season starts. Um, it's hard enough to win in this league without drama. Now you have all this drama, but if somehow they can all get on the same page, they could absolutely win a title this year if they remain healthy. They're that talented and Durant and Irving are obviously uh, that special in terms of, of their ability. So, it's going to be one of the real stories to watch because there's no way that they're going to get, um, at least I don't think, um, any kind of equal value for a player of Durant. Teams aren't just going to, they're not just going to unload everything they have. And if you do, as great as Durant is, he's not going to leave a bare team to a championship. He's on a team now that can win the championship. So I, I just, I'm a little mystified by it. The fact that it, it's become such a public thing, but um, I think if they figure out a way to get all get on the same page, they could be really dangerous. All right, our New York Giants. I'm just going to make my over under at six and a half. I'm going under with that. What about you? <laughs> now I'm enjoying my Mets season, <laughs> um, right? But I'm always I'm for for the Giants. I'm always optimistic in August. Uh, <laughs> sometimes by the time October rolls around, it's hard to remain optimistic. Uh-huh. Right now they're. You know, for me, the, the Giants, and, and this I just say this as a fan, not as anybody who knows anything, um, but the key has always been they, they haven't had a good offensive line in a long time. Yeah, they have not. And now their offensive line is all banged up, and they were they had some confidence going in, maybe this could be a really good offensive line, and now they're all injured. So um, I'll stay optimistic, uh, but it, it, might be a, it might be a tough season. All right, final thing. I'm only going to allow you to eat one meal all season this year on the road. What's the restaurant? Ooh, I have to pick the restaurant. Not I thought I was going to have to pick the meal. No, the restaurant. Ooh, 
Um, I, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Prime 112 in Miami. Yeah, that's that's tough to beat, boy. That's that's tough to beat Prime One Twelve. That is that there's, is. There's a lot of boy. There's a lot of candidates for that. We could, <laughs> we could talk about restaurants. That that's one of the other parts of the job. You find great restaurants all across the country. So yeah, I'm about two miles right now from Prime One Twelve. Maybe I'll go over there tonight and send you some pictures. Okay, make it make you feel better. Okay, <laughs> say hi to Miles for me. <laughs> hey Mike, you're the best, and uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I can't thank you enough for your friendship. Uh, your professionalism. You're a class act, and uh, I'm honored to know you, my friend. Thank you very much. Right back at you, old friend. Thank you, Grant. Just awesome being able to talk to Mike Breen. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Time now for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to crowdultra.com, and maybe I will answer your question on Friday's podcast. Josh wants to know, what do you think about Gronk and Dana White recently saying that John Gruden ruined Brady and Gronk signing with the Raiders instead of the Buccaneers. You know, with John Gruden, nothing would surprise me. The guy's got a gigantic ego. I, mean, I don't know if that story is true or not. All I'm saying is it would not surprise me. Luke asked, do you agree with Joe Madden saying MLB GMs try to work this middleman kind of thing, and when the performance isn't what they think it should be, it's never about the acquisitional process. It's always about the inability of coaches and managers to get the best out of a player. And that's where this tremendous disconnect is. I think Joe Madden, who's been in the game for a hell of a long time, knows a lot more about this than I do. So if he said that, and I know he did, but I mean, uh, yes, I would tend to agree with Joe Madden. I don't know why he would say that if it were not true. Alex asked, what's your most embarrassing moment live on TV or radio? That's a great question. Alex, when you're in this business over a period of time, you are going to have an embarrassing moment. Off the top of my head, I don't know if there's one that stands out above the rest, but I've had a couple of them. Nothing that, like I had to go into a cave for a week and hide so that nobody would see me but I think anyone has you know Mike Mike Breen just talked about his think about that doing a preseason game against Cincinnati and the guy that scores the winning touchdown he doesn't even have the name on his roster you know so for him he talked about that being an embarrassing moment Again, Mike Breen's one of the best announcers that our country has. It happens. But off the top of my head, Alex, I really don't have one. Chase wants to know, why is Tiger Woods helping the PGA deal with the Live Tour? Very simple. He believes in a PGA Tour. He helped the PGA Tour get to where it is now. And he has 100% of his energy, his beliefs, and his commitment to the PGA Tour, which has given him an unbelievable life put him on an unbelievable pedestal has made him world famous so I think that's why Ben wants to know do you think Dennis Rodman will have any luck getting Brittany Griner released I think the bigger story Ben is how is it that Dennis Rodman is tight with Kim Jong-un okay and Vladimir Putin explain that to me would you please explain that to me Sam wants to know do you agree with RG3 saying the block that injured Kayvon Thibodeau should be banned. No, it should not be banned. Thibodeau needs to learn how to protect his body better. I mean, the blocker was coming right at him. Do we want to really go and start playing touch football 
I mean, we're getting closer and closer every year. You're going to ban blocks like that? No, I do not agree with that at all. Uh, should Udonis Haslam make the Hall of Fame for what he's done in 20 seasons with the Heat? You know, that's a great question. When I look at Udonis Haslam, would I say he's a Hall of Fame player? No, I would not. But what he's done for the Miami Heat, mm, you know, based on some of the others that are in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, yeah, I could see you making an argument, but no, I, I don't think you will get into the Hall of Fame. Trevor wants to know, were you a Pistol Pete fan? Hey, I saw Pistol Pete play at Madison Square Garden when he was at LSU. My dad got us tickets to the game. My brother, my dad and I went to the game at Madison Square Garden, and Pistol Pete came out before anyone else and putting on, put on a dribbling exhibition for the fans at Madison Square Garden. I think, Trevor, anyone that watched Pistol Pete play was a fan. Ryan wants to know, have you been impressed by anyone in the NFL preseason yet? Ryan, I think the NFL preseason is the biggest waste of time in professional sports. I think that, along with the NBA Summer League, are the two biggest waste of events that we have annually in the country. So, did I answer that question okay? Hey, don't forget, just go to our Crowd Ultra Q&A by going to CrowdUltra.com. You can also check out my website. The link is right there if you don't like that.com. Again, just leave me a question and maybe I will answer it on Friday's podcast. It's time for Grant, Grant, Grant. So let me get this straight. Dennis Robin is getting permission to go to Russia to seek the release of Brittany Griner. How about that? Now, as I just said on our Crowd Ultra Q&A, how is it that Dennis Rodman is buddy-buddy with Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin? Like, how does that happen, right? And as far as Rodman going to Russia, okay, you really think that Putin is going to go, yeah, you know what, it's great to see you. Yeah, you know what, I think it's awesome that you're here and you can have Brittany Griner fly home with you. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that? If that is the case, if that were to happen, which I think the chances of that are one in a million, okay, could you imagine how bad that would look for the Biden administration and the other politicians in this country if freaking Dennis Rodman is able to go to Russia, all right, go to Russia and bring home Brittany Griner? Could you just imagine? Seriously. I mean, unbelievable. Hey, Dennis, while you're over there, why don't you see if you can get Paul Whelan released too? And there's another American, Mark Fogel, who was arrested on similar charges to Griner. All right? Or do those lives not matter because they can't dribble a basketball and put the ball through the hoop? Remember, Dennis, all lives matter, every single one. And that's my rant for today. And that is my podcast for today. Once again, my thanks to Mike Breen for joining me. So awesome to be able to talk with one of the greats in our profession. Have a great day. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hey. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.